over these next uh, next few weeks and months at this passage of scripture, these first few verses of Romans 12, as we continue really to allow, if you've been coming you know for a while, you know this, allow God to reshape us by his word and by his spirit. I believe in both. We want to be a word and spirit church. As we allow God to reshape us really as a church community, as a church um, family. And today I'm just going to spend a bit of time, just two verses, setting up this series. The great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preached 10 different sermons just on these two verses Um, and not all at the same time I don't think but uh, if you've been a Christian for a while you will have heard these verses before and we're going to use them today really just as a springboard for these next kind of seven weeks and we're going to work some of this stuff out in in community and uh, just want to echo what has been said repeatedly for weeks and weeks and weeks let's be in community and let's over these next few weeks really prioritize gathering together as we work through and work out some of these things that we read about in this passage here. And Romans 12, if you've been around with us for the last couple of years, uh, particularly back into lockdown, was something that we kind of preached from on numerous uh, numerous occasions, particularly verse um, 12, the whole rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. We talked about that quite a bit. And then we kind of really just felt, I guess, in one sense, that Romans 12 is particularly a kind of significant passage and we keep intending to preach it and then we just sort of felt it wasn't quite right and then finally here we are getting into these verses and it really is significant it's kind of the marks of a Christian uh, community or a true Christian and we, we really kind of want to I think this is the the big thing that we want to land in these next few weeks is that we increasingly here uh, want to become a church in which you don't just come to receive from a limited number of people and just come into a meeting to receive from some people who are at the front, but increasingly a church where everyone is equipped and everyone knows how to give gospel ministry, both in terms of kind of to one another in in here, but significantly and most importantly out there in Monday through Saturday, the rest of the week, in community life together. We don't just want to be this church where we we just come and just receive from a few, but a church where collectively together, each one has a part and each one gives. And we minister to one another in word and spirit and all the other stuff. And we're going to kind of unpack that uh, loads more over these next few weeks and just really want to encourage us to be in communities. And if you are a community leader, I just want to thank you and I just want to honour you at this moment in a big way. And that hopefully will come through in the next few weeks. And if you're somebody who's thinking, I want to know more about this or actually I've got these kind of gifts, how do I use them? You use them as a community leader. Honestly, like this is where we really, and in communities, this is where we really want to push into increasingly. And when, what we describe as community is a group of people shaped by the gospel who are committed to one another and powered by the Holy Spirit are on mission to reach people who live in their localities with the good news of Jesus. 
That's the heart of everything over the Queen's Jubilee weekend is not, oh, weekend off, great. No, it's a weekend to push into what is of most importance, being the people of God together, on mission together, powered by the Holy Spirit together to reach the communities in which we live. We have been called out of darkness in order that we might be sent back in to proclaim the excellencies of him who has saved us. We once were not a people, now we are a people. And we're a people who gather together on Sundays, but then we're still a people as we're scattered out in the communities, in the locations, in the localities, in the places where we live, work and play. And we want to be communities of good news in that. Why do we exist? Like, not existentially as human beings, but why do we exist as a, as a church? What kind of church are we going to be? And we answer that question by saying we exist to make disciples, family members, missionaries of all nations to the glory of God. That's what we're about. We exist to make disciples, those who know Jesus and follow Jesus and love Jesus and worship Jesus and do all the things that Jesus did. Family members, those who one another in in the context of community, who do all that kind of stuff, who look out for each other and care for each other and love each other and pastorally, all the rest of it. And those who are missionaries, Jesus is sent peoples, being salt and light in the places where we live, of all nations, to the glory of God. And in all things, as we do that, we want to act like Jesus in everything. We want to be shaped by the gospel. We want to be rooted in the word of God. We want to be reliant on the Holy Spirit and in an atmosphere of grace. And with great joy, we want to give ourselves to this stuff. So let's get into Romans 12. Big picture context for Romans 12 for a moment is that this is a kind of great turning point, if you like, in Paul's letter. And he moves really from kind of 11 chapters of essentially doctrine of kind of big meaty theology into now kind of practical application of everything that he said. And verse 12, uh, verse one of chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, whenever you see a therefore in scripture, it always relates to what's just come before. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul really just is asking the question, how now, in light of all this truth, how do we live out this Christian life? And he begins with the mind. Paul's appeal for, for godliness, verse one, acting like Jesus, is a matter of applying what we know. This is what the Bible always does. It reminds Christians of who we are, of whose we are, of what we are and what we now have. And then it says, now in view of all of that, act like this. We're the children of God, with the power of God working on our behalf. We're in the kingdom of God now. We are dead to sin now. We're alive to Christ. We have the the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that conquered the grave, lives in us. And we have Jesus, who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, interceding on our behalf. Paul says, look at all of this, all the resources you have, everything that's happened now, live like this. It's all very, very logical. It's kind of, he's appealing to the mind. You know it, now live it. But he also appeals to our, to our gratitude. Look here, by the mercies of God. It's not just mind and logic. You know this to be true and then this to be true, therefore that. But it's kind of like heart and emotions and, and feelings too. God's done all of this incredible stuff for you. Now in view of all of that, now live like this. 
But Paul also appeals and addresses to our will as well. He says, I appeal to you. This is not Paul in some heavy way with apostolic authority saying, I'm over you, so you do this. I'm, more, I'm here and you're there, so now you behave like, no, he's going, no, 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 brothers and sisters, look, in light of everything that you know to be true, in light of this incredible gospel, all that God is and all that he's done, live like it. Come on, guys, live like it. Mind, gratitude, will. And what Paul is appealing for believers for is, is a total, total commitment in body and mind. Being a Christian affects the whole of our lives. The word body really does mean body. It's to be a living sacrifice. Old Testament, Mosaic law, all sacrifices were dead. But now, sacrifices, Christians, we're alive. We are living sacrifices. We're to be, live our lives as holy sacrifices, pleasing to the Lord. And so we daily declare that our bodies are not our own. They're not our own. They're bought with a price. It's an absolute lie of our culture that it's my body and so I can do whatever I want with it. And the the Bible says, and and Jesus says, "No, no, it's not. The created belongs to the creator. We are bought with a price. We are made in the image of God. We then, when we put our trust in Jesus, are remade in Jesus Christ. And so we belong to him. And now our, te- our bodies are now temples of the Holy Spirit. They're dwelling places of God. It's not, well, it's my body. I can do whatever I want. No, 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 it belongs to him. And so we honor him with our bodies. We renounce, in a sense, the ownership of our bodies. And we accept that they are set aside for, for God's service. We glorify God with our bodies now, everything that we do. And the whole question about being an acceptable sacrifice in the Old Testament, the question with all sacrifices, is this this acceptable to God? Is this one pleasing to God? It's why it had to be this kind of unblemished thing and it had to be this particular animal, it had to be that. Is this acceptable to God? And, And whilst it's not, we're now not sacrificing in that sense, we're living sacrifice, but it's the question still remains, is this acceptable to God? And how I live in, is this honoring him? Is this glorifying him with, with all of me? And this living sacrifice is, is a sacrifice that is alive and continuous in action. This whole kind of thing of worship, it occurs not just in here for 90 minutes on a Sunday, but in the whole world. And it means that worship, when talk about spiritual worship, it's not, it's not just what we do. Our worship's over now, because Cyril sat down and we had one church news. And now we can, no, 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 it's, it's, in every, it's in every area of our life. And so we consciously and deliberately give all aspects of our physical life to God, like our feet, where we go, we give it to glorify God. Our mouth, what we say is to glorify God. It's an act of spiritual worship. Our ears, what we like to listen to and put in. Our eyes, definitely, what you look at, you become. So what do you look at? Things that bring glory to God and are honoring to him. That's an act of sacrifice. It's an act of worship. Our brain, even like what we like to think about, how we plan out our lives, how we're gonna live. Our bodies, like what we do with them, kind of even includes our sexual life and everything else our habits and our patterns, even what we put in, even what we ingest, the thing that we do, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, so we do good unto them, bring as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Our heart too, it's kind of the seat of our emotions, that which we desire is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing unto the Lord. We give all of ourselves away. And following the biblical pattern that as we give ourselves away, so we gain. He who gives, gathers it all, 
loses. He who gives it away loses his life, finds it. And so spiritual worship moves away from one activity of coming to worship to all activities of using them to worship. All areas of our life, all relationships, all tasks, all habits, all work, pleasure, play, everything, each problem, each success, each failure, every single thing, spiritual worship is we, we want to make it all, whatever we do, acceptable unto God for his glory. And verse two, look at this, it says when we give ourselves to God, it's kind of then reflected in how we live. Worshipping people are changed people. True worshippers are those who are changed. You don't just come in, sing some songs and go back to exactly how we were. We're changed. And it says, do not be conformed to this world. Do you know, if you've heard me preach before, you've heard me say this a lot, there are only two influences in your life. There's the word of God and there's the world in which we live. And if you're not actively being shaped and influenced by the word, you will passively be shaped by the world. It's bombarding us every single day with messages that are contrary to the gospel. If you're not actively being shaped by this, you will be shaped by that. Like there's not a kind of, well, I might be, I might not. No, you will be unless you are actively being shaped by this. And the world in which we live, it's not neutral. It broadcasts messages every single moment of every single day that are actively anti-gospel, actively anti the word of God. Our world is so far removed from authentic biblical Christianity that the only way to live it out acceptable to God is to base it on this and live ourselves out like that. And there's so much we could say on this, but if we're thinking about what kind of community are we going to be, this verse, really don't be conformed, really does raise some legitimate questions about how we live that we need to think through. There needs to be some thoughtful biblical answers to how this works in practice. Because when Paul says here, don't be conformed to this world, don't be like the world, how does that square with some things he says in other places, like in 1 Corinthians 9, where he says, I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some? How are you not conformed and all things to all people? It says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 33, he says, I try and please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So how does that square? How do, don't, be conform, don't be like the world, but please everyone in everything you do. Like how, well, what, which is it? Paul's not confused and he's not wrong. He's just whole, revealing to us yet again, like so many places in scripture this happens. This, script Bible says this and it says that and you go, well, which one? And the Bible says, yes, yeah. No, no, but yes. And this is the Christian life. It's full of these kind of impulses and these tensions, which are not problems to be solved, but they're tensions to be managed. We've got to hold them in balance. It's kind of, the tension here is on the one hand, we've got this pilgrim and sort of alien mindset. Don't belong to this world, we belong to the next. We're merely passing through, so remember that. Don't get too anchored to the things here. Invest not in the things that fade away and are rust and destroyed, but invest in the things which will last for all eternity because you don't belong here. Yet at the same time, on the other hand, we've got this thing of we exist to make disciples of all nations. 
which is the great commission for all people everywhere for all time. And to do that then, the gospel must fit somehow into this world. It must kind of somehow speak into every culture. It must be relevant to every generation and every sphere of life. And so if we don't understand, some of us feel like we don't understand the world anyway, but the reality is if we really don't get the world, we don't understand the culture within which we live, we don't understand the questions which people are asking and the way, the patterns and the thinking of this world, if we don't get that, then the gospel just becomes an irrelevance and we're just missing entirely. So how, how, does this, how does these two tensions work? Well, the answer is precisely what Jesus prayed to the Father for us in John 17, verse 15. And he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That's the tension of the Christian life. We are in it, but we're not of it. And you know, that's one of those phrases that's so easy to say in it. In the world, but not of the world. But how? Like, how does that get lived out? Because it's so easy in this kind of context when you're with brothers and sisters who generally think the same thing as you think, and then tomorrow morning, it's like a whole other, well, not, it's a bank holiday, in it? So maybe Tuesday morning, it's a whole other different world. And then everyone thinks way different. Like, I'm well aware that I'm different in those moments. How's this work? Well, the answer again is there's these kind of two impulses or tensions that you don't need to try and solve, but we just need to manage. We're separate, but we participate. We, are, we, we sort of adapt, but we also confront. It's like Paul says, there's all these different tensions. Paul says it elsewhere, like in, in, when he writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands so that you may walk properly before outsiders. So adapt, don't make waves, don't be shouting your mouth off and you got to and be all like that. No, 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 live quietly, get on with it, live it out. But then there's this other impulse, isn't there? Ephesians chapter five, that actually we do need to confront Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7, don't become partners with those who walk in darkness. Don't do it. And then he says in verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So live quietly, keep your head down, don't shout out, but expose them and confront. It's not a, it's not a problem we solve. It's a, it's a tension to manage. And truthfully, it doesn't go down well with people, does it, when you confront in that way? That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not might be, will be. Remember, this passage is all about how we live. What kind of community are we gonna be? We're in, not of. We're pilgrims passing through. We're separate, but we participate. We adapt, but we also confront. We're not of this world, but we are in it. We're not to be conformed but becoming all things to all people in order that we might see some saved. It's this tension to manage, not a problem to be solved. So how do we get this balance right? Well, part of the answer, look at verse two, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's the deal. Now for those of us who are in Christ, we're supposed to be like Christ. We're supposed to act like him and represent him and show him to the world. And we can't do that if we're no different from the world. You can't do that if you're conformed to the world. And so we need to be transformed. 
And transformation is not switching out our to-do lists. The Christian alternative to the unrighteous behavior of the world that is not pleasing to God is not now a new list of new moral behaviors that you now must do. It's the triumph, the answer is the triumphant power and transformation of the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ Jesus that changes us from the inside out. This is the gospel. It has changed us. How we kicked off this meeting earlier, Jeremy standing here saying, reading that psalm, I once was in the miry pit and then God lifted me out and set my feet on a rock. That's, I once was dead, now I'm alive. It has changed me, but this gospel is also still changing me. It's this daily putting on, this daily reminder of the gospel, a daily need to be renewed. Right back to what we said about verse one, in our mind. Remember Paul's appeal, in your mind. This is who you once were. This is how you are, who you are now. Reminding ourselves daily, I'm now alive in Christ. I'm now a new creation. The old is gone. But there's also a daily reminder of the gratitude of God in reminding myself again of all that God's done in view of his mercies. Now today I'm going to live pleasing unto him. I don't live like that anymore because I want to honour him. I'm so thankful for everything he's done in my life. It's got to be a daily reminder, right? Forget so quickly. Daily reminders why we never move on from this wonderful gospel truth. We just move deeper into it. And the older you get and the more mature you get and the more aware you get of your own sinfulness, you're like, oh, the more grateful I am for the mercy of God, the grace of God. When you're 23 and you know everything, life's awesome. But by the time you get like a little bit older, you suddenly think, oh, maybe I didn't. Some of you are still on that trajectory. I, what, what? There's quite a few of us who are like, oh, yeah, no, I know. You need the gospel now more than ever before. Daily we put it on, but our wills are different too, right? He's changed me. I want now to glorify God. If you don't want to glorify God, there's something wrong and it probably is you're actually not yet saved because there's a desire in us. Are we perfect? No, are we? Heck no. (laughs) Do we get everything right? No, absolutely not. You suddenly get transformed into this all singing, all danceful, wonderful, everything's perfect. Yeah, maybe for 90 minutes on a Sunday, but then the reality kicks in and we, we get stuff wrong but I've got this desire now. My will has changed. I want to glorify God. A Christian's renewed mind is led by the Spirit, is guided by Jesus and the Word of God. And when Jesus comes into a person, they become a new creation. Mind is different. Mind of Christ is now in them. Hearts and emotions are different because we now have a new heart. Old is gone, new has come. Our desire is different because we're now new creations. We're dead to sin. We're alive to Christ. And worship then is this molding process that is worked out not just 90 minutes on a Sunday, but in the daily realities, the lived experience of everyday life. We are allowing ourselves not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed and increasingly molded into the image of Jesus. So how do we do that? Like what, what's that look like? Because the vast majority of it, there's 168 hours in a week, right? And if you arrive on time and you stay for a coffee, afterwards, that may be two hours. I mean, that's a big if, right? But it might be two hours. Let's just say it's two hours. Because <laughs> it should be at least two hours, right? <laughs> you get what I'm saying? <laughs> the very least, it should be two hours. <laughs> I ain't looking at anyone in particular. It should be two hours. But you know what? Even if it is... Even if you're like two hours and 15 minutes kind of crazy, like that's 166 other hours in the week, right? That's where transformation is really seen. 
That's where sacrifice really becomes pleasing to God, how we live in that. So what does this look like in practice? Well, truthfully, the rest of this series is gonna unpack this, how we now live, individually, but particularly collectively. But in big picture terms, we act like Jesus. We're shaped by the gospel. We're rooted in the word. We should be in everything we do. Look, here's why we do it like this. Let me show you. We are reliant on the Holy Spirit, not trying to do it in our own strength. In an atmosphere of grace where it's okay to try things and if they go wrong, well, do you know what? That's not fatal, it's all good. And with great joy, because there's joy in the house of the Lord, because joy in, in God is not based on circumstances, it's based on deepest reality of who you now are and who he is. We're engaged, but we're different. In a world that prioritizes self and looking after number one, we prioritize the least, the last, and the lost. Let me say that again. In a world which prioritizes self and look after me, look after number one, we prioritize the least, the last, and the lost. We believe that those who are loved by God love like God. His heart is for the least, his heart is for the last, and his heart is most definitely for the lost. The Son of Man came, Jesus came, what? To seek and save the lost. And we're told his method of doing it. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. He did it so much that the Pharisees began to attack him and question why Jesus is socializing with and eating with sinners so much. And Jesus, in response to those accusations in Luke chapter 15, he reveals God's heart for the least, the last, and the lost because he tells three stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and the prodigal son. He says, this is what is of most importance. And so we are passionate and intentional about living lives and creating a culture together collectively of mission with the goal of bringing home the lost in the places where we live. You know, I'm, I'm so encouraged like seriously, so encouraged by so many stories of communities really engaging with this. Like right now, I'm gonna leave this meeting in a moment because the community I'm part of are somewhere in a field somewhere playing rounders and they're having lunch and most of them will come to the afternoon meeting this afternoon and they've got people who are not part of church there with them doing it. Built around that. I'm so encouraged right now because reports of different communities doing it in different ways, but just this absolute priority. We, on a weekly basis, are gonna name people who are not yet believers and we're gonna pray for them and we're gonna be really intentional about at least once a month engaging with them in very practical ways, having people in our homes, reaching out to people, spending time with people who are not yet part of the kingdom of God. I'm so encouraged, other communities doing different things. One community runs a youth cafe to, run, to reach young people and demonstrate the love of Jesus to them in their entire community. They kind of take it in turns and run with this thing and serve on different ways. A whole youth cafe thing to reach people. So encouraged at the moment, there's, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know, there might be more, but to my knowledge, there's at least three communities who are running alpha courses at the moment in their own homes or in third spaces. Third space, just like a shared place, a community center or a pub or a cafe or whatever, somewhere that's not church or my house. At least three communities. I just Let me just read these. I got sent a message the other day from two different community leaders. One sent this message saying, we're kicking off our Alpha course today and we have four or five people supposed to be coming, one of which our neighbor kind of reached, approached us and asked to come completely out of the blue. Please pray for her. How awesome is that? 
Like how cool is that? Just living this life intentionally trying to prioritize reaching the least, the last and the lost. And the greatest evangelist among us is the Holy Spirit. He's already doing things in people's lives, drawing men and women unto him. And we just have to play our part in getting alongside it. Second message from another different community leader. We had Alfred started well last night. We had six guests and was by far the most varied group I've ever had with Alpha. It was a good atmosphere. No one person dominating, had some interesting discussions and everyone spoke and shared. Such an eclectic mix of people and so every sort of perspective and question. We had a few stay later than everyone, had lots of questions including what is glory and do you find morality from within yourself? It was so cool to hear someone say how they wanted to explore faith more as they'd seen how loving everyone was in our church how cool is that and there's others and there's stuff I don't even know about these are not some centralized thing we've got on like these are people loving people in their locations in their communities prioritizing reaching the least the last and the lost we want to do the same and we want to build we want to build communities that seek and to pursue and promote and practice biblical patterns of justice that meet individual needs, but also bring wider renewal to enable our entire community to flourish because when the city flourishes, everybody does. We adapt and we confront. We believe that the gospel must be ministered in word and in deed together to all peoples. So we prioritize the least and the last and the lost and we do it together. And in a, in a culture of celebrity and me, we believe in community and we. Everyone involved, everyone playing their part. In a world of consumerism, where it's all about me and my needs, we prioritize orienting our lives around helping others thrive and grow. Weird word, orient, isn't it? But that's what we do. We orient our lives around helping others to thrive and grow. We contribute and we play our part in helping others thrive, believing that as, as we do, as they do, as we do that, as they thrive, we will thrive too believe that the best way to make disciples is in community and on mission. We take seriously the one another commands in scripture and we give our, our time, our talent, our treasure to help brothers and sisters to grow in Christ and reach the lost. So encouraged by communities doing this. I was so encouraged Easter Sunday, the, the, the baptism testimonies and Tony is saying, hey, pointing out community leaders and they, this, this person invited me into their home. This person as a complete stranger welcomed me into my home and it just changed my whole perception of everything and helped me. How awesome is that? You can make a difference by inviting people into your home and welcoming them into your home and reaching out and orienting your lives. And if you can't have them in your home for all sorts of reasons, there's lots of other ways we can do it. So encouraged receiving a message just this weekend of a, a community where there's some people, a family really going through it. It's been a very difficult period for them. And the whole community is sort of gathering around and they're basically all chipping in in different ways, a number of them financially, in order to be able to send these people away, just have a little bit of a break because they haven't had a break for such a long time. And not everybody can contribute financially. So others are contributing in different ways. I'll, have the, I'll look after the kid, I'll do this, I'll do that. In different ways, just right wrapping around, orient our lives so that others can thrive and grow. Giving of ourselves the best, it's awesome, it's so encouraging. And sometimes community is hard, right? And people can be challenging. Or their situations can be really hard and you think, oh my goodness, how, how, how's this ever gonna change? In those moments, we live by faith and not by sight. We approach every situation and every person with an attitude that God can and God willing, he will break into this situation. 
We believe for change. We believe for breakthrough. That wonderful word about the undersea cables and everything from Emma early. We believe for change and breakthrough for every person and every circumstance. And we keep going even when, especially when, we don't see things happen. We don't stop. We recognise that in some situations, change is immediate. And in other situations, it's going to take a lifetime of walking with this person. But one day they will see the full breakthrough because one day they'll see him face to face and every tear will be wiped away and we all shall be made perfect. And we keep going until God says otherwise. And we don't give up on people. And we don't give up on people who don't seem to change. And we don't give up on people who are pain in the butt. Aren't you glad God didn't give up on you when you were a pain in the butt? And if you're like, I'm not a pain in the butt, God still hasn't given up on you because you just haven't worked it out yet. <laughs> we all in our lives around helping others thrive and grow. Galatians 6, let us not grow weary because if we don't give up, we will reap. We will reap in due time. And as we have opportunity, let's do good to everybody, especially the members of the household of faith. And so we are in our lives. And in a world that is divisive and puts up barriers, we prioritise making room for different voices. As a prophetic statement of what is to come, we want to build a diverse church of many different colours and cultures and generations that both reflects the communities in which we live, but also foreshadows the great eternal community that one day we will join and displays the wisdom and the glory of God. And so we intentionally break down walls of division. We listen and we learn from people not naturally like us and we look to intentionally build friendships and relationships with people from different walks of life. A number of years ago, I was the most challenging question somebody had asked me in hand was write down the name of the top 10 people you spend the most amount of time with. So we did. Now circle all the ones who are different from you. And there really wasn't. And we had to go back. If you do, we do that exercise now, there's a lot of circles because we spend a lot of time with people who are different from us, different walks of life, different colours, different ages, different backgrounds, different everything. Because as we do that, we display something, but we also get changed and transformed and grow. Because we have cultural and generational blind spots that mean we need other people who are not like us, who are the people we spend our time with. And in a world that is sceptical and cynical and distrusting and scheming and lacking in real faith, we believe that God is at work. And so we look for where God is working and we change things to join him. We believe that God's always at work. And so we carry a vision that is bigger than we can see. The whole Caleb and Joshua thing, the spies go in and go, oh my goodness, we can never do it. There's so many giants, it's going to be terrible. And they go, do you know what? God's with us. We can take this. Can't see it, but believe by faith we can. We carry a vision that is bigger than we can see. We dream and we plan. Yeah, of course we do. It's important that we do, but we are equally ready to lay aside those plans temporarily, permanently, sometimes very quickly as God opens up new and better possibilities because we believe God is always doing a new thing. And so we look to join him. And so with a spirit of adventure, we creatively pioneer and we have a go. I love the story of Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14 to his armour bearer. He says, come on, let us go over to the garrison of those uncircumcised over there. And he says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. It's not even a guarantee. It's just like, it might work out well, so let's go and take them. For nothing can hinder the Lord by saving many or saving a few. And he's like, let's just give it a go. Come on, what's the worst that can happen? Well, you might die. No, the Lord might be with us, so let's go for it. 
And then we encourage others by leading with a yes. I absolutely love the armor bearer's response. He's like, Jonathan, you want to have a go? He literally says, do all this in your heart. I'm with you heart and soul. Let's go for it. I haven't seen it. I ain't got the faith, but you have. I'm going for it with you and I'll run with you. We're not afraid of failure. Doesn't matter if we get some things wrong. We believe as we seek first the kingdom of God, everything else gets added, right? And so we seek him. It might be, so let's go for it. And in a world nearly finished that's impatient and always in a hurry, we're not in a rush. In God's timing, we pray, we wait, and we weigh. There's an urgency to all of this because people are, let's, let's, let's not sugarcoat it, people are dying and going to hell. There's an urgency to all of this, but we're not in a rush. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We recognize that his ways and timings are different from ours and they're always good. And so for our own good, we wait on the Lord. But waiting is not passive, waiting on the Lord is active. We believe that growth and breakthrough and kingdom advance comes through a foundation of prayer fueled by worship. So we're on our knees waiting, believing. We pray, we worship, we expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And when he does, we seek input from others to discern what he's saying. And then we respond in faith. And to do all of this, to prioritise the least and the last and the lost, to orient our lives around others, to thrive and grow, to make room for different voices, to look where God is working and changing to join him, even this kind of waiting and weighing, we need others, we raise leaders to do, help it. You know, we live in a slightly weird thing in our culture. We think leaders are people who stand on platforms. Maybe, but not really. Like maybe, a little bit, but not really. Uh, we want to raise leaders. Yeah, maybe some for in here to stand on platforms. But actually, the action's out there. <laughs> Honestly, the action is out there. It's not in here. It's out there in the real world where this stuff takes place in the 166 hours. All right, you're allowed to sleep for a bit. I suggest that. Like, sleep by yourself or with your spouse. That's it, all right? <laughs> but everybody else, all those other hours, we've got... Wow, what an opportunity. And so we want to raise leaders who live it out and lead it out. We are family, right? We believe in spiritual fathers and mothers who raise spiritual sons and daughters. And this is important. We believe that everyone, everyone, irrespective of age, irrespective of life stage, biological family status, anything like that, everyone's involved in this. Because we believe that God, we're going to hear this over the next two weeks, we believe that God has given each of us gifts to be used for the glory of God and we take seriously the instruction to use and grow them. Fan them into flame, Paul says. Use them. Parable of the talents, you've been given gifts. One day he's going to ask you, the giver of the gifts one day is going to ask you, what did you do with those gifts I gave you? I didn't have enough opportunity to stand on a platform. He's probably going to say, I couldn't care less about platforms. That's not really why he gave you those gifts to be used for the glory of God, the extension of the kingdom in the real world out there. And we want to use those gifts and help others use them and grow in them. And so we honour and listen to the generation ahead of us, but we also absolutely prioritise the generation coming behind us. We really need to fight this mentality. You've heard us talk about this before. One generation fights, a second assumes, a third loses it. We've got to fight that. We don't want to be like Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20 who was told the future of Israel is really bleak but it'll be all right in your day. And he goes, you know what? It's all right in my day. I don't care about what comes next. 
We do not want to be Hezekiahs. We don't want a situation like in Judges 2.10 where after Moses and then Joshua, it says there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he'd done in Israel. That's not okay. Well, we had a great, we had a great innings. Thank you very much. See you the other side. Glory. It's not okay that there could potentially arise another generation who does not know the ways of the Lord. We give ourselves to that. And we seek to equip and empower others, overtake and outrun us. Yeah, training programs are important and we need to do more of that kind of stuff. But actually our pattern for raising leaders is from faithful to faithful. In trust from faithful men and women to in faithful men and women. And we carry this imperative that for the sake of world mission, we need to multiply leaders at every level. Genesis 1.28, God says, go multiply. Jesus, great commission, go multiply. Go make disciples of all nations. Revelation, the multiplication's happened. We live now. We're still partaking in that. We're in, not of. We're not conformed to this world, but transformed by the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grounding in the word of God, outworked in community together. Let's pray. I want to commission you right now to go, to use the gifts, to use the talents, to use the treasure, to use the time that you have to make disciples, family members, missionaries of all nations to the glory of God. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, the glory of God. Lord, I thank you that you know us by name that you've called us out of darkness and brought us into your glorious light. You've equipped us with every good gift to see us through unto the end. Past, present, future, it's all a work of grace. You've dealt with our past, you've got our future covered, you are making sure we're not lacking in anything for now either. So Lord, we wanna live now as those transformed by the power of your gospel, by your Holy Spirit, living lives of sacrifice, of spiritual worship. Yeah, in here, but significantly and most importantly, out there, in the world and in the spheres of influence where you fight, given us, the places where we work, live and play. Over these next few weeks, Lord, would you transform us and change us from those who perhaps are unsure of what part we have to play to those who are confident God's with us, and if God can be with us, who can be against us? Those who know that they've got gifts in them to be used, but for whatever reason are hesitant or unsure or help, feel held back, Lord, I pray there'll be a releasing in the name of Jesus in these next few weeks. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Lord, where you're stirring things in people's hearts, unlock them. It's gonna be like Jonathan. Some of us are armour bearers. If it's in your heart, I'm with your heart and soul. Let's go for it. Let's see what happens. And we're going to pray and we're going to worship and we're going to do everything we can for the glory of God. Lord, I pray for every seed that has been sown over the last few years begin to bear fruit. I pray for those who are doing good, especially in the household of faith, they not grow weary for in due season they will reap. Oh Lord, change us and transform us for your glory, our good and the sake of the world. We really want to be a church. When we say we exist to make disciples, family members, missionaries, all nations to the glory of God, we want to do it in increasing abundance. In Jesus' name.